You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Institutional Philanthropy Up to this point we have been talking about individual philanthropists, but that is only one chapter in the story of the Age of Philanthropy. A natural consequence of the individual philanthropy movement was the emergence in the late 1800s in the West of institutional philanthropy, whereby charitable donations are funded directly from business profits rather than from business leaders' personal wealth. As CSR academic Archie Carroll observes in his chapter on the history of CSR in the Oxford Handbook of Corporate Social Responsibility, among the first recorded instances we have of this approach is by Macy's of New York, which in 1875 contributed funds to an orphan asylum, and in 1887 listed gifts to charities under miscellaneous expenses in the company books. Charitable practices like these evolved in the early 20th century into giving corporate donations to charitable institutions like the YMCA, which was founded in London in 1844 and ran various community-related and social programs, especially linked to railroad companies in the USA. Other popular charities around the time were the United Way Campaign, the Boy Scouts and the Community Chest. It was not uncommon then, nor is it today, for religious institutions to play a brokering role in institutional philanthropy. For example, in Colombia, the business community supported charitable activities through the Fundación Social, founded in 1911 by a Spanish Jesuit priest. Similarly, the Baku Jewish Charitable Society in Azerbaijan was largely funded by the lucrative oil companies, while in the United States, the Salvation Army and the Young Women's Christian Association also became conduits for philanthropic donations. The Rise of Foundations After World War II, with the increasing proliferation of charities and the professionalization of corporate philanthropy, it became increasingly common for companies to institutionalize their giving by setting up a corporate foundation, sometimes also called a chairman's fund. Today, the top 50 corporate foundations in the U.S. all have assets of over $75 million, with the largest, Alcoa, Merck and Wells Fargo, topping $300 million. As impressive as this seems, I find it bizarre and rather disturbing, bearing in mind the corporate wealth that they represent, that even the largest of these is only roughly one hundredth the size of the world's largest private or personal foundation, namely the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation at $30 billion. Collectively, America's approximately 2,600 corporate foundations gave around $4.4 billion in 2007, according to the Foundation Center, the same amount as the collective donations of only the top four private foundations. In fact, in 2006, corporate foundation giving accounted for just 11% of all foundation giving. To me, this speaks volumes about the cult of the individual in Anglo-Saxon culture. 
Without detracting from these individuals' staggering generosity, what does it say about their excessive personal wealth in the first place and the social inequity that implies? And what does it say about relative levels of corporate giving? Why should these individuals be expected, or at least encouraged, to give away most of their fortunes, 95% in the case of Gates, while corporations with much more wealth in their collective hands can only manage minimal levels by way of giving back, less than 2% of pre-tax profits in most cases. Be that as it may, corporate foundations have become an important vehicle in the age of philanthropy. Many have joined together in grantmakers' associations to share experiences, receive professional training, pool resources, and connect grantmakers to those seeking funding. Examples include the Foundation Centre, the Council on Foundations, the European Association for Philanthropy and Giving, the Asia-Pacific Philanthropy Consortium, and the Africa Grantmakers Affinity Group. Let us take a look then at what institutional philanthropy has accomplished. The State of Corporate Giving According to a 2005 international study by the National Volunteer and Philanthropy Centre in Singapore, average rates of corporate giving around the world are about 1% of pre-tax profits. In the US, this has even been institutionalised by the 1% Club, a voluntary association of companies which commit to this target. However, levels of corporate philanthropy do vary considerably country by country. American business appears to be the most generous, with an average contribution of 1.6% of pre-tax profits. As compared with Canada at just over 1%, the UK at 0.95% and Singapore at 0.22%. Unsurprisingly, these levels of giving have been affected by the financial crisis. The Conference Board Annual Survey on Corporate Contributions indicates that U.S. charitable giving declined in 2008, while international giving increased. Among the 166 companies that participated in the survey, total contributions of $9.47 billion were distributed to recipients in the U.S. and overseas in 2008, as compared with $10.97 billion in 2007. According to the report, pharmaceutical companies remain the top donor industry in the U.S., and human and health service organizations received the largest share of corporate support, both in America and internationally. Of course, there are huge variations within each country as well. Willie Cheng, in his book Doing Good Well, establishes a charity quotient for companies, which he depicts as a matrix with internal motivation on one axis, from self-interest to altruism, and external manifestation on the other axis, from low to high. Using this typology, corporate philanthropists are characterized as one of four types. First, business is business, the self-interested, low-giving type. CSR is self-interested but high-giving. The distracted are altruistic but low-giving and mission accomplished are the altruistic, high-giving companies. The fact that CSR is identified as a type of philanthropy in this model only serves to reinforce my view that many still regard CSR through a very narrow lens. Strategic Philanthropy 
1970, the respected U.S. economist Milton Friedman published an article in the New York Times magazine on 13th of September entitled, The Social Responsibility of Business is to Increase Profits. In it, he calls the doctrine of social responsibility a fundamentally subversive doctrine in a free society, and he argues that there is one and only one social responsibility of business to use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits, so long as it stays within the rules of the game, which is to say engages in open and free competition without deception or fraud. As such, he came to define one end of the spectrum of opinion on CSR, the purest stockholder or shareholder view, a view which was once again given an airing in the Wall Street Journal article The Case Against Social Responsibility, an article of 23rd of August 2010 that I mentioned in the last chapter. Despite this hardline view, Friedman does allow some concessions, and I quote, It may well be in the long-run interest of a corporation that is a major employer in a small community to devote resources to providing amenities to that community or to improving its government. That may make it easier to attract desirable employees. It may reduce the wage bill or lessen losses from pilferage and sabotage or have other worthwhile effects. Or it may be that, given the laws about the deductibility of corporate charitable contributions, the stockholders can contribute more to charities they favour by having the corporation make the gift than by doing it themselves, since they can in that way contribute an amount that would otherwise have been paid as corporate taxes. Although Friedman calls this hypocritical window dressing when done under the cloak of social responsibility, He concedes that these practices may be justified if they contribute to shareholders' interests. Hence, he is setting out an early version of what today is called strategic philanthropy, the practice of social responsibility only when it is aligned with corporate profitability. Three decades later, academics Michael Porter and Michael Kramer have given this concept more structure and credibility, and with considerably less malice towards CSR. In their 2002 Harvard Business Review article called The Competitive Advantage of Corporate Philanthropy, Porter and Kramer argue that increasingly philanthropy is used as a form of public relations or advertising, promoting a company's image through high-profile sponsorships. But there is a more truly strategic way to think about philanthropy. Corporations can use their charitable efforts to improve their competitive context, the quality of the business environment in the locations where they operate. Using philanthropy to enhance competitive context aligns social and economic goals and improves a company's long-term business prospects. Addressing context enables a company not only to give money, but also leverage its capabilities and relationships in support of charitable causes. Four years later, in another Harvard Business Review article called Strategy and Society, the link between competitive advantage and corporate social responsibility, Porter and Kramer continued to build on the strategic philanthropy concept, expanding it to the broader CSR debate. I will return to this in the chapter on the age of management. For now, it is worth noting that strategic philanthropy 
represents an evolution in corporate philanthropy that has generated considerable ferment and challenged many businesses to refocus their charitable activities. Venture Philanthropy Another concept that has generated a lot of excitement is venture philanthropy. Seemingly, it has origins in yet another Harvard Business Review article called Virtuous Capital, What Foundations Can Learn from Venture Capitalists by Christine Letts, William Ryan and Alan Grossman in 1997. Their basic message was that corporate foundations can be more effective if they develop hands-on partnering skills for which venture capital firms offer a helpful benchmark. In addition to putting up capital, they closely monitor the companies in which they have invested, provide management support, and stay involved long enough to see the company become strong. Since then, a debate has raged about what exactly venture philanthropy is and whether it is plausible, ethical, and desirable. After all, if venture capitalists are treating their donations as an investment with expectations of a financial return, then is it philanthropy or just business? And is it feasible to expect charities like community development organizations to generate a financial return in the first place? And what about the distinction between venture philanthropy and social enterprise, or Muhammad Yunus's concept of social business? Distilling the debate in the way that only Wikipedia can, the online article suggests that there are three models of venture philanthropy. The first is traditional foundations practicing high-engagement grant-making. The second is organizations which are funded by individuals, but all engagement is done by professional staff. Examples cited include the Robin Hood Foundation in New York City and Tipping Point Community in the San Francisco Bay Area. The third type is the partnership model, in which partner investors donate the financial capital and engage with the grantees. An example is the Silicon Valley Social Venture Fund in San Jose, California. Without getting heavily into the venture philanthropy debate, I do believe that, as with strategic philanthropy, it is symptomatic of the shift in our approach to tackling society's most intractable problems. What we have seen is that traditional charity has been, for the most part, invaluable in bringing about alleviation of social and environmental distress, but rather ineffective in achieving resolution of the problems themselves. The need for pure philanthropy, irrespective of its strategic alignment to donors, will always be there. There will always be emergencies, crises and urgent problems that don't link conveniently to business interests. Venture philanthropy, on the other hand, recognizes that we need ways to scale up solutions, and one way is to link business with a social cause and provide the capital it needs to be effective. Hence, I regard venture philanthropy as one of the transition tools that we need as we move to the age of responsibility, not least because it brings creativity and scalability to the table. It is one of the critical enablers that are facilitating the social enterprise revolution, which is discussed in more detail in later chapters. While it is true that many companies, especially in developing countries, are still stuck in the age of philanthropy, there are also many, especially in the industrialized world, that have moved beyond it and into the age of marketing. 
It is in the age of marketing that we see companies taking philanthropy and other CSR practices and turning them to their commercial reputational benefit. And so this is what we shall explore next.